Thanks for downloading the 16th in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith and my co-host for this series of interviews is Taito's founder, Brendan Craigie. And today we're thrilled to be joined online from Boston in the US by Pedro Bados, co-founder and CEO of NextThink, a company that specializes in digital employee experience management software. NextThink has uh, headquarters in Boston and also in Lausanne in Switzerland. And uh, they reached unicorn status in February 2021. So this year, after it announced a $180 million Series D funding round, reaching a valuation of $1.1 billion. Welcome to the show, Pedro. Um, Do you want to start by giving us a quick introduction to the business? Sure. Thank you, uh, Russell, and thanks for having me. Yes, so introduction about the business. So as you said, NextThink is the pioneer and one of the leaders in digital employee experience. And basically what that means is we make sure that employees, they have a great digital experience with their companies. It's a pretty straightforward definition of of the value because any interaction that an employee has today with, with his company is really digital. However, most of the companies still, they consider IT as one way, I would say, you know, putting services out there and not really understanding employees, they have problems or how they are adopting these services. So we make sure that IT departments and companies in general, they are providing these IT services that they can really delight and they can really be adopted by their employees. Oh, that's great, um, Pedro. Thinking back to the origins of, of the company, I understand you founded the company back in 2004 when you were at the um, Ecole Polytechnique Federal de Lausanne in, in Switzerland. What what was the kind of the inspiration back then for you to launch the business in the first place? I think next thing has been a, a story of resilience and, and change. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not been an overnight success. I say that with really a lot of proudness. The reason why we launched the business is really because we, uh, at that time, I was conducting my my research project at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne, and it was something more related with security. So we're trying to understand the normal behavior of computers. So if all of a sudden this behavior changes, there is probably an identity theft and all that. And actually, we went to the first customer, and then we showcase our product, uh, where it was kind of a prototype at that time. And the customer reacted, oh, that's great to understand all these security incidents. But actually, the data is even more important for me to understand if my employees, they are consuming my services, if they're having problems. You know, all these uh, blue screens, all these problems that I'm seeing here in the screen are really critical for me because that means people can do their jobs properly. And that was kind of the moment in which we said, wow, it's really kind of a contradiction. The number one customer for an IT department is the internal employee, and they don't really have all the information that they need to make sure to deliver a great service. And then that's why we we started. And as I said, it was not overnight. It took us a few years to understand the market, and then the, the, the venture started. And if you think about your vision and mission today, when did you completely land on that? Or has it kind of evolved over, over that 16, 17 years? Yeah, I think it's been really, uh, like any good story is made of chapters, right? So the first chapter probably, and you know, back in, in 2004, 2005 in Europe, I mean, startups uh, was not really something very, I would say that the market was aware of companies that were really 
we're not really buying for for startups. So at the very beginning, we kind of uh, bootstrapped the business with the founders and a, and a few early employees. And it was mainly security that I would say the first three, four years. And then it was a little bit later in when, when we understood really the power and the potential of digital employee experience market. That was probably uh, 2009, 2010. But at that time, you know, there was a big crisis, if you remember. So obviously in terms of rising money and all that, it was difficult. So I would say probably around 2011, 2012, we were still below, I would say, 10 million in revenues in which we got funding and then we kind of expanded the business to other countries. And then 2015, 16, we had a, a Series B. And then basically uh, the, the company grew exponentially. I'm guessing that amongst all of that, you've just explained, have you taken any lessons away from that? Because, you know, like you say, there's been a, a real story of resilience. And I'm guessing the industry has evolved around you. What, do you. Do you draw any kind of lessons from that experience that you would pass on to other people? Yeah, many, many lessons. And especially today with this craziness in the market, I mean, some young entrepreneurs, they might think that success has to come overnight. And if the company is not successful uh, in a few years, we have to stop and do something else. Look, I mean, we uh, we went through highs and lows and here we are with one of the highest valuations for an infrastructure software company in Europe. And still, I think we're very bullish about our growth in the next years to come. And I think resilience is probably one of the most important attributes of a, of a company, an entrepreneur. And I think that's a very important lesson for us. There, there are many lessons that we learned during the venture of NextThink. Just um, coming back to what I mentioned at the top of the, the, sh- the show about achieving unicorn status um, in, in February, how would you say that's changed the perception of, of the business? I would say probably it's similar to, personally, I like soccer. I think it's similar to where you start playing in Champions League. Obviously, people are very proud of playing for uh, one of the main teams, but also the expectations are higher. So the expectations is to really now become one of the, the champions in our in our league. And obviously the, the stakes are higher, the investors are more ambitious. So I would say everything is like a new a new level in the in the game, which is very exciting, especially for me, you know, when when you are running a business, what you want to do is really to, as I said before, to open a new chapter with new challenges and potentially, you know, higher challenges and, and goals. And, and that's exactly the moment in which we are. And kind of, you know, the, the valuation is not so important, but it's kind of a landmark. So people, they can say, oh, I'm a unicorn. So now I reach a certain milestone and I can focus on the next chapter. Was that more of a challenge coming out of Switzerland? Because there's only a few unicorns that have, were founded there compared to, say, in, in the States where you are now? It's a little bit more challenging because the... I think one of the things that are really critical for a company is really initially, but I think at any stage is really the people, the teams. The thing with Switzerland and Europe in general is there are not so many people that they have made it before in our particular market. So these teams, they have to learn while they grow. You know, they have not done it in two or three other companies. Therefore, it's a little bit harder to scale. So it could be a little bit more challenging than in other areas uh, the US or other in which they have done it a few times, they have this pattern recognition and they can scale easily. Yeah, I would say it's a little bit more challenging, but but here we are. 
And so just coming back to this focus on the employee digital experience, obviously, you know, looking at your website and looking at what you do, your clients can actually gain a what you call a NextThink digital employee experience score. Can you just talk us through how that works and, and what you would define as, as the optimal DEX score, as, as you put it? Yes, absolutely. Just before that, I mean, I think it's interesting to understand the relevance of digital employee experience. And I think right now we are seeing in the market something which is really, I would say, different from probably 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it's great employees, they have choices. They can work for any company. So companies are really worried about talent retention and really how they can attract the best talent. And once this talent is there, how they can make sure they stay with the company for, for many years. And when they analyze why people are leaving companies, has nothing to do with salaries or sometimes managers. So it's really this feeling of getting the job done, getting the job accomplished, which is kind of making a lot of people leaving companies. And when they analyze why people they are leaving companies, which is obviously a big problem for the business, talent retention, they see that one third is related to tools, processes, technology. So there are many companies that they are saying, wow, I mean, especially new generations, they are coming in and they expect really to have great processes, great uh, digital tools, great digital interactions with their companies. And if they don't have it, they get frustrated and they change. And that's why, you know, digital employee experience is really important. Now, one of the first questions around digital employee experience is how to quantify it. Because we are all very used to for instance, the Glassdoor score or the NPS, or you know, when we read a financial statement, revenue or PNL, but there are not really good metrics about digital, how people are perceiving the digital experience. And one of the things that we, one of the first things that we, we did is really try to standardize this market and saying we need a score and what we call the digital employee experience score. And I think it's it's a little bit complex, but actually the philosophy is simple. So it's based on hard data, so based on metrics, how digital systems they are operating, response times, problems, things that we can detect automatically. But there is another 50% which is based on sentiment, how people are perceiving things. So it's very important to engage with employees. Hey, are you happy with your computer? Are you happy with this application? Do you feel productive with these type of systems? So putting them together into a simple score, in our case, is based on six different dimensions. That gives really a very important tool for a company to make decisions about how to improve the digital experience. And that kind of whole digital experience score, Pedro, is that something that sets you apart from your your competitors? Well, I think the different competitors, I mean, we were one of the first, if not the first, to really put out there a score, comprehensive score, we have seen other competitors and other companies putting out there their score. All of them, they are based on the similar philosophy, which is really hard data and sentiment. I think we are probably, we have probably the, the most advanced technology for engagement. So the ability to really get the sentiment information from employees. So our scores, we believe that they are more accurate, representing the real feeling uh, of the organization. So I would say probably they're, more accurate, but there are other companies that they have digital experience scores. And I think scores is one thing, but how to react to scores, what we call the playbooks. So what happens if all of the sudden you see that your users are not 
are not happy in productivity applications, how you, you take an action. I think that's something which is also a differentiator factor for next thing because we link the score with really actions. And that's what we see that our customers, they really appreciate. It's great to have the information, but now we have to take action. How do you think the impact has been over the last year or so with so many more people working remotely and, and in lots of cases, you know, using their own equipment, their own PCs, their own laptops, for example, or, or their mobile phones, so, but, but to do their work? So how, how does that impact on, on, the, on their digital employee experience score, bearing in mind they might not be actually accessing work through work-supplied um, tools? Well, the, the impact has been massive because as a consumer, we are used to you know, enjoy real-time information from Google, Facebook, our iPads, but actually the reality of an employee in a big company is quite different. They have legacy systems. There are you know, millions of people working from desktops that they couldn't take the desktops home. Many legacy, as I said, applications developed on-prem and everything has to work from home. So from an office of five, 500 people, IT departments, they had to support 500 offices of one person, right? So that, and everything has to work fine because still people have to be productive. So from the technology standpoint, it was really challenging, especially the first phase. And we were able to put out there what we call the remote worker pack. So people were able to monitor that everything was working well, the Wi-Fi at, ho- uh, Wi-Fi at home, the different uh, applications that people, they had the right laptops because, you know, many companies, they were buying uh, hardware for their for their employees at home. So helping really to make decisions quickly uh, for companies to make sure they didn't stop the production. So that's that's one area. And then it, it after a couple of months or three months, you know, we had a lot of demand for for really almost HR business cases, wellness, burnouts, making sure people are not you know abusing of the digital uh, world with too many Zoom calls and just check-ins. You know, I want to use uh, NextSync Engage, which is this ability to measure sentiment, not only to measure sentiment about the digital application, but also to see if people are are doing well and they did something else. So a little bit outside of our core market, but because we have this real-time capability to engage with people based on, on on their behavior and based on what they do, I think many people were using them. So for us, it's been really a massive transformation. And, you know, as a digital employee experience company, now most of the interactions are digital. So we are almost an employee experience company. I was going to say, so have you adapted like your offering in, in that time? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have more and more use cases around HR. And I think the frontier between HR and IT has become really closed because most of the problems IT now is, is trying to figure out is, okay, how do we do the conference rooms so people can collaborate in a hybrid environment? from home, but also in the office. How we can make sure that people can work from home? Do they have the right applications? Should we really have more, you know, more SaaS applications and things like that? So it's between HR and IT, and we are really in the middle of both. It sounds like the COVID pandemics had quite a big impact on your business. I was just curious to know, there's obviously seems to be a lot of companies moving in the direction of the hybrid model. Yeah. Do you kind of envisage any additional new challenges for businesses as part of that? You know, how do you think that will impact your business? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of challenges that us as a company, but I hear that from many customers. So as I said before, operationally, I think it's very hard to, for instance, to run meetings in a hybrid environment in which 
you have a few people working from home and a few people in a meeting room. People working from home, they're like of second class citizens. They don't have the same interaction. And that's a problem that we have to fix as a, you know, in hybrid organizations, how we can run these hybrid meetings. That's one thing. Another thing uh, I think it's important is really the talent piece. So because there are so many people now that they work from home, they're not really attached to an office. Uh, for them, it's very easy to switch and to go to another company because they don't have this personal attachment. So how companies, they can really make employees feel that they care about them, that they are important, that they are part of a culture. So I think COVID has kind of exposed some of the weaknesses in this in this area as well. Also, I think many people are thinking about the offices in general, not only the conference rooms, but really they are more social uh, hubs or are really traditional offices which with closed offices and, and things like that. So there is a lot of thinking around that. So definitely there is there is a lot of change going on for Nexting, but for any company in the world. Yeah, no, God, I think there's so many interesting points you've touched on there about the impact on loyalty when you don't have to go to an office and that kind of shrinking of the gap between HR and um, technology. I totally, totally um, identify with that. Thinking about where you go from here now then, so you've kind of reached the unicorn uh, milestone. What's what's the next kind of horizon, the next target for, for you and, and the business? Well, obviously... Uh... The stage in which we are now, um, I think our exist- existing investors, they are in the management team. I mean, we are thinking about potentially an IPO in the years to come. That would be great for, for the employees, also for visibility in the company. I think would be uh, partners, customers. That's, that's an interesting milestone. I think uh, growing the business, I mean, we are just scratching the surface. I mean, it's a, it's a, we think it's about five to seven billion opportunity right now. So we are, you know, in the five, ten percent of the of the market opportunity. So we can really have a still continuing, you know, delivering digital experience to many companies in the in the world. I think we want to make the companies smarter in the way they provide applications and in general, I would say user computing to their employees. So make sure they, they make the right decisions, they, they buy the right applications, they buy the right hardware, they buy the right things for employees. They include the employee into the equation. Something very interesting is in the past, the traditional world of IT has been, I know what is the best for my employee. I do it, I deliver it, and good luck. And right now they are thinking, okay, maybe I should include the employee in my thinking process. So gathering feedback doing a first prototype, launching an application for a few uh, employees, get, gathering feedback from them, including really the employee as a part of the solution, not really at the end as a consumer of a solution. It's very similar to m- what many companies are doing, you know, like launching a product, listening to the social, understanding what social media is saying. So fostering a partnership between employees and IT departments, I think it's super important to build the, the technology of the future in companies. And that's something that we are seeing more and more. Pedro, a key, a key part of the discussions we're having with all the unicorn leaders is on comms and culture within the business. So just starting on communications, you just mentioned there about, I think you said you're at 5% of your potential market. I mean, what, what are you doing to, to raise further awareness of the company in terms of your marketing and your PR? Well, what happens sometimes is that especially in new categories, that people know the problem, but they don't know really there is a solution. 
So I think linking the problem with the solution and making sure that people, they understand that this is a big problem. Just got the statistics the other day. On average, there is two incidents per employee per week, and each of these incidents is 28 minutes. So that means on average, every employee in a company, they waste one hour of time because of a, of a technology problem. So that's literally millions of productivity losses, even for a company of 10,000 people. So this problem is big from the financial standpoint. But then you have the, the attrition problem, the employee productivity problem. So telling that this is really a big problem and there's a solution for that, or there is a path for that, I think is, is something that we are constantly communicating. We're going to launch a, a big initiative now, which is going to be a hub in which IT professionals, executives, they can go and speak about this, this problem. We have actually our own podcast to really uh, tell the market and bring leaders uh, that they, they want to talk about digital employee experience. There are many initiatives that uh, us with our customers and partners we're putting in place to talk about this domain. That's great. I love what you were saying there about letting people know that there is a solution to the problem. How have you found building company culture in such a fast-moving company and fast-growing company? So it's been an interesting journey. I think for us, probably has been a little bit easier because our mission is very much about people. We, we say our mission is delight people at work because this is what we do for our customers. They make sure that they can delight their employees at work, but also we do it internally with our employees and also we do it uh, with our community. So there is this, these three ways of delighting people at, at work. And, and that really creates this sense of mission. We want to make sure people to have a delightful experience when they work. And then, of course, we are very clear about the values. We have four core values. So I think we didn't put these values out there just saying, oh, this is what we would like. But actually, we looked backwards. And when we tried to understand what makes a, a great next thinker great and understand what is a successful employee in our company and then getting this DNA and then putting these four values. In our case, it's positive attitude, one team, continuous uh, growth and get things done. That's the four things we we say is really shaping a great next thinker. And then I think all that is kind of creating a culture. We're also very international. As you said at the beginning, we are binational with headquarters in Boston and in Lausanne, but also we have offices around the world, including India and other places. So very diverse. I think almost 800 people, and then we speak, I think, 80 different languages. You look at the management team, it's probably four or five different languages and six, seven different countries. So it's very diverse. And I think that's also shaping up the, the culture here. So how are you actually communicating with, with all those different people? In terms, like, like you said, spread out geographically, I, I guess lots of people still currently working from home as well. So for those who are in one location, but still not seeing each other. And, and also... I'm assuming you've expanded over the last year. So, because a lot of the companies that we've spoken to, where they're onboarding people that haven't even met their new colleagues or even been in one of the offices yet. And so, just that whole, you know, building a culture when people aren't actually working together, how are you getting across all those challenges? Yeah, I think it's uh, the way I explain it sometimes a little bit like following the example of the soccer team. I mean, you don't know anyone from your probably your favorite football team, but you feel attached to, to that. I think it's very important, the communication, what we stand for, as I said before. And that's really something that you cannot fake it. People, they 
they feel it when they interact with other people in the company. Multiple initiatives, for instance, we are doing really, if we say we care about diversity, if we say we care about employee experience, we have to take actions. So we have to run, for instance, multiple webinars about the problem so people they can get educated internal webinars inviting external speakers about the problem of diversity and why why it matters if we care about employee experience we have to make sure that when somebody joins the company the onboarding process is just great it's not on the average of any it's just great so there is this moments that matter for a new employee which somebody is giving him or giving her a call are you doing okay so all these processes, they have to be in place. And I think part of the success, in my opinion, is it's not really a, an HR job. It's really a top management job. HR is securing some of these things, but everybody should care really about it. And then the rest, is, I think many companies, they did it. So we make sure that people, you know, they have a great experience in, in events. We over, try to over-communicate with newsletters. We have something which is called Next in Life every month, which me and some other people, they, they jump and we, we tell everything what's going on in the company. And then sometimes the communication has to be very local. So I, we try to do town halls in every region in which they have very specific questions and very specific needs. And then uh, we have to go there as an executive team and make sure they feel that they are listened. Well, I was going to ask, I was wondering how accessible you are, you know, as a leader of the company, because obviously in that startup mode where everyone's mucking in together, but then obviously as the company expands, your role becomes obviously bigger and bigger. And so how accessible are you to all the employees? I, I try to be very accessible. I think I attended so far all the welcome days. So every single employee who has joined Next Thing has at least has had the opportunity to talk to me in a welcome day in a small group. The same with the rest of the executives. So this is really, uh, I would say, it's mandatory for all the executives to attend the welcome day, to make sure the new employees, they understand, and they can ask questions to the to the leadership team. And yes, I mean, I for instance, something that I have in place, which is called Darwin, because Darwin is about the evolution no? and growing. It's a, it's a mailbox in which any employee can send me any idea. And I commit that I will reply personally. So any idea about anything in the company, they can send it to darwin at nextin.com. And then I will reply them with, yeah, that's a good idea. And he's the person who's going to implement it or that's not the right time. So I try to do these type of things. I love that. And what, and what about as an external spokesperson and, and representative of the business? How, how does that you know feel? Because again, we've spoken to some leaders that, you know, they'll come up with a great idea. They might be technology-based, but they've never really enjoyed that front part of, of, you know, front-facing part of the business. Is that something that comes naturally to you? And do you enjoy that part of the business? I think I'm in the middle of the spectrum. So definitely I like uh, spending a lot of time with customers, with partners, to make sure they're successful. I enjoy really doing things like this uh, interview today and podcast. But I'm not someone who really thinks success is coming from speaking too much externally. I think success is coming from great products, customers that are getting value, employees that they are engaged. And I I tend to spend more time there than really speaking to the broad uh, audience outside. So I think it's kind of a balance. One thing I think we have to ask you about, Pedro, is you've kind of touched on your interest in soccer a couple of times. Who is your soccer team? Barcelona. Going through a bit of a difficult patch at the moment. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> sorry. Next question. <laughs> I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to put you <laughs> off your flight. So, <laughs> just thinking about communications and challenges and things. What's the biggest communications challenge you've had to deal with, other than that last question? I think the biggest challenge is that as the company grows, you have to be really mindful about the the things you you say, and you really have to mean it, because people they really listen to you. When you are smaller, I think they don't listen too much. But at some point, you know, employees and all that. So whatever I say, I I, I don't think it can be like emotional. And one day I, you know, I think one thing and the next day I think something different. There has to be some stability in the communication because people, they really pay attention and they, they react. So that's something um, I guess any founder has to learn as the company scales. Talking of challenges, when we were putting this, you know, the planning for this podcast, I discovered that you you actually only just moved your family to Boston just recently. So, so it was March last year, just before the start of lockdown. So how how's that been as a challenge in terms of mu- moving a young family to, to a new country at, at this current climate? Yeah, no, it was, uh, I think everybody has a different story with the, unfortunately, with the, the COVID and the lockdown. In my case, yeah, I moved with my family just one week before the the lockdown i remember i i dropped off my my daughters to the to the kindergarten on monday and friday was the last day of kindergarten the first week so it's been rough for a for a few months but look i think in the last few months especially here in the us which the vaccinations are really now almost done in in a, in a big part the, the country is opening up i think it's just great i i feel very happy to have done this move my family is really excited about the opportunity in the U.S. personally and professionally, and yeah, and I think we are we are good. Uh, but obviously, the first year was tough personally, and I think from the company standpoint, many employees they were struggling, and still they are. By the way, I mean I, I don't want to because right now I live in the U.S. Things are better here, but when you look at what's going on in India, in which we have many employees, still it's a something that is uh, we are taking it very seriously, and we really care about our employees there, and we're putting initiatives to make sure they they go through this period as, as as good as they can as well. So That's good to hear. But it's been good. Thank you. Petro, we've got one final question for you, which we've asked everyone that we've interviewed. If, if you were to go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give yourself about communications? And also what steps would you encourage yourself to take in order for you and your business to excel in comms? Yeah, I would say because I, I come from an engineering background. Engineers, we tend to be a little bit you know, oh, whatever I say, I have to do it. We are conservative. We are more about being worried to know overcommit instead of trying to impact emotions and and sell the dream. And I think probably to my young Pedro, I would have been a little bit more vocal on selling the vision and selling the dream. Uh, that's something that I learned. And uh, because I, I had this dream and I had this vision but probably I kept it for myself because there was always a risk. So taking risks, uh, especially when you communicate internally and making people dream, I think is very important. Tremendous. Thanks so much for joining us online and recording this today. Really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, good luck in, in the continued growth. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Brendan, that was a that was a good one. What what did you think of what uh, Pedro had to say? Yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation. I guess as a as a kind of a, a an entrepreneur myself and on a small scale, I really enjoyed his point around resilience. Cause I think within the world of technology, 
there is kind of like a sense that you kind of have you have to make it within a year or two or or your business is really not worth pursuing but i think you know his story and the story of nexting really shows that you know if you are resilient and you kind of have something which has a long term value then um then it's kind of definitely worth um pursuing that's a good point actually because a lot of a lot of the times like when you read about unicorns and stuff it's it's often this oh it's an overnight you know success and stuff but actually 2004 is when he started yeah so i think that was um really interesting and then from a communication standpoint i thought the point he made at the end when he was saying as a ceo what you say you have to really mean it you know it's kind of words are cheap it's really easy to go around saying things and promising things and you know saying that you believe in this but you have to really believe in it and you have to stand behind those words and and kind of follow through with them otherwise you'll very quickly get found out so i thought that was a kind of a really key point that pedro made Okay, well, that's it for this latest episode um, in this special series with Taito. If you want to find out more about NextThink, then their website is simply nextthink.com. We'd love to hear your comments on today's chat. You can share them on our Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, or in the comments of the YouTube version of this podcast. And those are all linked from the top of our website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple. And if you've liked what you've heard, then please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, We're of course available on all podcast apps. Just search for the C-Suite podcast and hit follow or subscribe. Uh, You can also subscribe to the Without Borders podcast from our partners at Taito. And all the details for that are on their website. Just head to Taito PR and uh, click on the podcast link in the top nav bar. If you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of this series, please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com. Plus, of course, anyone can get in touch uh, with us with any feedback you may have and finally you can also reach me via twitter using at ross goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye